0: everybody, so this is going to be the the, the second installment of the Wednesday edition to to the Down the Rabbit Hole. So this week, you get me, you get Brandon Valentine. Um, And this week, because I've mentioned it many times on the show, I'm fascinated by cults. I love reading about cults and kind of going down that rabbit hole of how insane they are and the things that they do and um so for this episode i picked out Alm shinrikyo for those that haven't heard of Alm shinrikyo you've probably heard of the one thing that they're famous for which was the 1995 sarin gas attacks on the japanese subway that was just the 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 culmination of their insanity um this group is one that actually the more i've gone down this i feel like this was almost something that me and big d probably should have done is together because this is complete fucking insanity um complete insanity uh to go down this i've got literally i've done more research on this one than probably any episode we've done because once i started doing the research i couldn't stop because i just kept finding more and more insanity um yeah, so we'll, we'll just dive right straight into this. Om Shinrikyo, like I said, it was a, it's a... And one thing I am going to warn everyone on, I have a very American tongue. Um, I guess it's about the only way I can say this. Um, so I'm going to screw up with a lot of these words. Um, a lot of pronunciations of these words because this whole cult, all of it, is out of Japan. So I'm going to mess up the the... the the pronunciation of a lot of this stuff but we'll start off with the the gentleman who started and I guess gentleman is a a really sick way to say anything about this guy who started the cult Um, his name he was born Chizuo Matsumoto Um, and he was born in 1955 into a large poor family of tatami map makers in Japan's Kumamoto prefecture Um, A tatami mat is basically, that's the mats they use for the flooring, I believe, in Japan, I think so. I'm kind of trying to look, B just being my sound engineer today, and he just gave me a thumbs up saying I said that right. He took a couple years of Japanese, so um, he keeps giving me really dirty looks every time I pronounce half these words. So I'm pretty sure that uh, most of them are wrong, that's why I warned you all. But yeah, he was born in 1955, um, and he was in a poor family. Uh, But he was born with infantile glaucoma. uh, Which made him actually lose all sight in his left eye and go partially blind in his right eye. um, At a very young age. So he was basically almost blind. So he had to go to a school for the blind. And at the school for the blind he actually became um, a lot of the information I got from this has been you know um, different news articles and stuff like that but I did also listen to Four episodes of another podcast called Last Podcast on the Left. They, they dated four hours on this cult. And I found things in my research that they didn't even talk about in their four hours. Um, so, I mean, you can go down a huge rabbit hole in these guys. So, I'm just going to touch a little bit on all of this. Um, so, if I missed anything, I apologize. But... Um, Uh, I'm going to try and hit as much as I can. Like I said, this is almost one that we could have done. I mean, we could do a month on this. I could probably do this and then come back and do this for another three weeks um, and still not touch on everything that they do um, or they did. Um, So, yeah. So, he went to school a school for the blind and pretty much in a school for the blind, as they they mentioned on the last podcast on the left was. the, the man, the, the boy with one eye is king in the school for the blind because he can pretty much do what everyone else can't. So he had partial sight in his right eye, which was enough to be able to kind of get around. Even though he was blind in his left, he could partially see out of his right. So what he would do is he, he was a bully. Um, while he was in school, he would take advantage of the other students by beating them because, I mean, they were blind, so it was kind of easy, you know, not to sound bad, but it's kind of easy to beat up a blind person who can see out of one eye. Um, then he would also do things that you know there was a lot of reports of things that he would do was trick the other students into uh, giving him money by basically saying hey I'll be your seeing eye kid and have them follow him places like hold on his shoulder and he would guide them to places and then like you know to, to, to get the groceries, get the haircut, do whatever and then as soon as they were done they would come out and be like okay let's go home and he's like well I wonder how you're going to get home. And make them basically say, okay, I guess I'm going to leave without you unless you pay me. And extort money out of it. Uh It's reported that when he graduated from high school, from all of his bullying and all of his crazy ideas, he graduated with over $30,000 in the bank from money that he had extorted from other students within the school. Um, he was just always, you know... Kind of a kind of a dick. Um, yeah, I mean, really, he was. He graduated from school in 1977, started studying acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, um, which I guess is very common careers for for blind, uh, the blind in Japan. Because a lot of it, you know, it's one of those things I did a little bit of research on that because it kind of confused me. I mean, you really, do I want somebody sticking needles in me who can't see, but they do it by touch. Um, and a lot of acupuncture, I mean, that's the best way to do it. it isn't really by sign. It's by touch or by sight. It's by touch. So they touch and they feel, and it's actually a very normal, you know, very, you know, common for people who are blind to do that in Japan. Um, he also got married, um, in 77 and then fathered 12 children. So this, th- this guy was very fertile. Um, and he fathered 12 children, the eldest of whom was born in 1978. So he started doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, he started his own acupuncture um, and yoga school. The school, the acupuncture uh, was. Um, oh, sorry, my brain just went dead. I have notes all. You, you'd be surprised how many things I have all over the place. Yeah, Matsumoto Acupuncture. He started in nineteen seventy eight with uh, money that he had from school and from his his wife was actually very wealthy. Um, so he started the acupuncture. He actually started selling for. Um, uh, quite like seven hundred bucks a bottle, um, for a three month supply of medicine that was supposed to be you know a healing potion that he sold from his acupuncture that was really it was alcohol mixed with tangerine rinds and that was it. So and he did that for a while. He got busted for that for uh, and was fined for that in 1981 um, for practicing pharmacy without a license and selling unregulated drugs while doing that. Um, he became more interested in religion and started studying um, various religious concepts, Chinese astrology and Taoism and a lot of that stuff. Um, he also went to yoga, meditation, esoteric Buddhism, and esoteric Christianity. So he looked into a lot of it. He, he really studied this stuff. That's one thing that actually they said too, when you look at a, stuff, a lot of his stuff in high school. In school, he was... Um, actually really smart and really, really good at math. Um, So he found ways to, you know, different religions, studied those, um, and became very, very well-versed in religions, um, which made basically kind of led into everything else he did. Um, Like I said, his real name was Chizuo Matsumoto. So as Chizuo Matsumoto, he started, you know, like I said, the Matsumoto acupuncture, and then in 1984, he started the ohm Association of Mountain Wizards. So, which was the precursor to OM Shinrikyo. There is another one where I've seen actually another name. Um, because it is a Japanese name that was translated. They translated it into the OM uh, Association of Mountain Wizards and one. And there was another one that I saw that was where they had done it a different way that it was a little bit different of a interpretation of what they said it was um sorry i was trying to i've got like i said i have a whole bunch of things open here trying to kind of really outline there is so much information in this it is it is ridiculous um on what it is there it is the Ohm mountain hermit society is another one that i've seen the uh it interpreted as. So it was uh, it was found in 1904 as a yoga and meditation class initially known as Om Omu Shinsen Nokai, Kai, um, which was the Om Mountain Hermit Society. Um, they believed in a doctrine revolving around a syn- syncretic mixture of Indian and Tibetan Buddhism as well as Christian and Hindu beliefs. So they really mixed a lot of them up. And this is something I find a lot when you look into religions is they like to take the old religions... And make them new. So a lot of times, when you see a cult leader, they've studied these old religions. Um, like here, where he did the Tibetan Buddhism as well as Christian and Hindu, he mixed all those up into one belief system and pulled different pieces out that made him, you know, that, that he enjoyed and that he thought would work for his his religion. Um, he especially related to the Hindu god Shiva, um, and They believed that Armageddon to be inevitable in the form of a global war involving the United States and Japan. So that's one of the big things and that you'll hear more as we go farther and farther into this is he believes there's going to be Armageddon. And actually, there's different times where I've seen him refer to it as Harumageddon, but he's expecting that to happen. Um, Why do you give me that weird look, Beach? He's giving me weird looks. I know you don't hear him much. He's not talking, but he is my sound guy because I'm recording this in my home studio instead of the studio that you know we normally record at. Um, and I'm horrible with the, the technology. So, but you see this a lot where they they take those and they they, they you know mix the religions and like I said, yeah, the, the Armageddon. He really believes that there's going to be Armageddon that is going to be started by a nuclear war between Japan and the United States. Um, which is very scary in a lot of ways, but really it comes down to, and I've already mentioned the Saren attack in 1995, and we'll get to that, but that really was his attempt to start the war himself um, to where he got to a point where pretty much he was going to make his prophecy come true by actually forcing it to happen. Um, which is insane so and we like i said we will get to that um he also believed that non-members people who were not part of the member which is a lot of times you see this in cults too where he basically tells everyone that unless you're if you're a member of his cult and one of his followers then you are destined to live through armageddon but you will not live through armageddon if you are not following him and that you were doomed to eternal hell if you are not one of his members um but, and here's where the other part comes in. If you aren't a member, you could be saved if you were killed by one of his cult members. Which is another thing we'll get into where we talk about karma and the way he perverts the whole idea of karma in his religion to make it karma fit what he wants it to. And he very much perverts the whole idea of karma. Um, what we believe is karma. Um, and it is <laughs> it, it is very, very interesting. Um, so like I said, only members of his cult will survive the apocalypse and will afterwards build the kingdom of Shambhala. In 1987, the group rebranded and established a New York branch um, and opened co- headquarters in Nima. I can't say that word, Fujinomiya, Around this time, the mental health of Matsumoto, now going by the name, which he changed his name in 1987 when they, they, they also renamed the, the renamed to Aum Shinrikyo, um, he changes the name to Shoko Asahara. Um, and at this point, his, his mental health starts to deteriorate. Um, and that's one thing that a lot of people talk about, that he starts to deteriorate mentally um, during this time when he starts to change the name to Alm Shinrikyo, the, the, the name of the cult to Alm Shinrikyo, which translates to. My brain just went dead. Alm um, the Supreme Truth is, is what that translates to. So he changes the name to Alm Shinrikyo, so Alm the Supreme Truth, and changes his name to Shoko Asahara. And that's in 1987, I believe. Um, it says in a couple of places. I've seen eighty nine. I've seen eighty seven. I believe it's eighty seven though, the where he changes his name. And there's a couple of places where you see some a couple of different things. Um, but yeah, he he basically did a lot of his marking in the Twilight Zone magazine, which is not Twilight Zone like you know we know Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone was a a anime and manga manga manga. Don't give me that. What? Manga, um, magazine, um, most, and that's one thing is, is I mean, there's no really nice way to say it, but most of these people were nerds. Um, and that's kind of what he preyed on. Was he put things out into the, you know, Twilight Zone magazine and basically told people that he'd give them superpowers, do all of this stuff. In one of the pictures that looks as though he's levitating because he was actually, and I really like to see how this is done, was able to use a yoga move to make his leg muscles so strong that he could sit down and make himself hop like high enough up that they could take a picture and it looked as though he was levitating. And they used that picture to use it as marketing to basically get people to believe that he could do this and to get people to come to his cult um, and start going through it. And this is where it starts to get interesting. I mean, not that it isn't interesting already, but he starts to get people to come in to the cult. Um, he actually made it a religious organization, um, corporation, you know, under the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. They granted legal recognition as a religious corporation in 89. And that's kind of, you know where everything starts to go wonky. Um, and he starts to do some pretty interesting things. Um, I mean, people are killed throughout this thing. I mean, it's, like I said, it, it it is very, very difficult at times to really go through this and kind of really talk about, you know, everything that happened because it, it bounces so much really reading through this and trying to figure out all this stuff. Um, and it's just, there's so much, um, but one thing that he did with his, his religion and with the cult is something that many cults do. Something that I've seen quite a lot when I've looked at cults is they do what they call ideology, 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 ideology totalitism, which basically is something that's used quite often with cults. And what it is is basically you, you isolate people away from Everything. So that basically the person is, they are, the only thing they know is what the cult tells them. So all of their news, they they have no contact with their family. They have no contact with the outside world besides what the cult tells them that, you know, any information. So when the cult's telling them, you know, in in these situations, you know, he he convinced everyone that the U.S. was out to get them. That while these people who were, you know, living, because, I mean, they got to a point where they were living in, you know, Uh, compounds built for the cult and in dire conditions they ate only when he what he told them to eat what he told them they could eat a lot of times that was like one meal of boiled vegetables a day and that was it um to a point where he kept them you know basically almost sick uh and convinced them that the reason why they felt sick and why everything was you know everything was going on was because that the u.s and daily was flying jets over the their compounds and releasing bio biological warfare onto them and making them sick not the, the dire conditions that he was having them live under and live in no the US was attacking them and they believed him and that was part of it they did that they believed him and he had all these rules that they had to follow but of course as is typical um, he didn't have to follow those rules So some of the things that he would do, he basically modeled the whole religion off of the Japanese school system where basically you don't question authority instead of, you know, test every day. It was, you know, like quizzes and stuff like that. It was different tasks that he would give them and different things like that. So to keep them you know, something to do and basically kept it so that they they never questioned authority. And anyone who's done any research on the Japanese school system, that's how it is. They give you constant quizzes, constant tests, keep you constantly on your toes, and you cannot question the authority. If the teacher says something, that is fact. Um, And that's pretty much how he modeled the whole cult. So that was what it was. It was pretty much... You, you couldn't question him because if you questioned him, you, that was questioning authority. And, you know, in the Japanese culture that is something you just don't do. Um, the followers, um, once they were in, in the compound and living there, followers were allowed five hours of sleep a night at max. And priests were only allowed three hours of sleep at max. Um, they... Sorry, like I said, massive, massive notes. Just trying to remember. I wrote notes about it, but I don't see it here. But basically what they did is they, you know, like I said, they modeled it after um, the Japanese school system. They, they, you know, structured the whole thing off of old religions and then packages it as new, which was, like I said earlier, was a typical thing for cults. You basically took the old religions, but you packed your, Packages that have hit something new, and basically it helps people to follow. Because it gives them something familiar. It's something new, but at the same time, it's a familiar feeling. So that's why you see a lot of the religions and the cults based in the U.S. and uh, here are based off Christian or Catholic beliefs. Um, because we are that—that's the religion that most people associate here with. Um, the only one you don't see that really is Scientology. Is one that really kind of they stepped out and did their own thing, um, amazingly uh but you look at like mormons um which i know i'm going to get crap from the mormons cuz i'm just i just said they're a cult but um they are i i i grew up in it uh mormons um the church of god um which is one that me and big d like i said are going to cover at some point that's a screwed up one but it's based in christian beliefs um Waco, based in Christian beliefs, a lot of those, the big cults that we see here and that we hear about, if you look into them, they're based on Christian beliefs, but then those beliefs are perverted. And they're perverted in a way that basically it, you, it's easy for people to see familiarity in it and follow it. Um, and it's basically by taking the reading of the Bible and perverting it. And basically that's what he did, but he did it with Buddhism because he's in Japan. And Buddhism was before, you know, um, uh, before Buddhism, Taoism, those were all the religions of that area. Um, in the uh, leading up to World War II, they had changed that a little bit where the religion was really based off of the uh, supreme leader. Um, that he was a god and they worshipped him. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when Japan lost in World War II and uh, we bombed them, um, which is a whole nother fun thing that we should really go down someday on the fact that really the Japanese were technically, if um, a lot of people uh, pay attention, were about to surrender to Russia. But we bombed them first so that they couldn't do it. But that's a whole nother conspiracy theory and argument to go down. But that is one of those things that when we bombed them and we we won World War II, the the supreme leader had to not only step down as the supreme leader, he stepped down as a god and basically gave up his godhood and said, I am not a god and had to do it publicly on radio. And that basically took the, the Japanese, any religion that was in Japan and just click killed it because that that had become the main religion was believing that the supreme leader was a god um so once that happened and that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that once that happened that opened up religion in japan and opened up to a lot of cults Aum shinrikyo wasn't the only cult um during this time you know during the the, the late 70s early 80s um, there had been a lot before it and a lot of things there's a few cults that you can look up that really um, Asahara took a lot of his beliefs and a lot of things from and that you can find things that he was actually parts of those cults and that's how he got their information. So there was a lot of cults that kind of came out of that you know you know uprising of different religions and stuff trying to fill the void um, that was left when the Supreme leader decided to step down as a god. Uh, so that kind of became you know one of the reasons why they were able to flourish so much the other thing that happened was is this was you know in the the 80s and the 90s when amazing when I mean really Japan was an economic just power and they had so much money at that time that there was a lot of expendable income that people had what a lot of people don't realize is one of the things that they'd also do for for this cult you um, Asahara uh, was selling, you know, different things. They they would come to get, you know, training and all that kind of stuff from him. And they would pay large sum, sums of money to be able to take these classes and learn from him and, and do everything. And that's kind of how he would get people into it because it was kind of one of those things. And a lot of it where you, you'd see stuff, they would pay, you know, so much per session to go see him. And it was kind of one of those things—not to sound bad—but if you got to a certain point where you're like, uh, "This is shit," you were so much money into it, it was almost a—you sh- would—you would be shamed to back out of it. It's like, oh. Hell, I've spent fifty thousand dollars on this. I kind of, I'm kind of in, and, and that was kind of one of the things that he bank, banked on was people would come in and then they would just keep spending money because everything that you do, okay, you learn this, now you need to spend more money to learn this, um, and that is very similar to what, um, that, uh, God, what are they called? My brain just went dead. The one that Tom Cruise is in, Scientology. That's what Scientology does. They they do a lot of that where you have to spend money. And then keep spending money to learn. Oh, cool, you've learned this part. Now you want to learn more? Give me more money. And that's kind of how this, you know, Asahara set it up too. Um, but there was one thing that he did was um, he would actually sell um, his dirty bathwater for $2,000 a gallon. Um, was one of the things that he did. Um, he would sa- sell his blood in a ceremony. That people would drink his blood because they thought that it would give them superpowers um, and heal them. Uh, you could drink tea that had been filtered through his hair. Doesn't that sound yummy? Um, yeah, these were all things that you had to, pay, had to pay money for. And then you could have tea with Asahara. But one of the things that he, in this ceremony that a lot of people didn't know, and he wouldn't tell him right away, um, that he would uh, lace your tea with LSD. So, you would be drinking tea with him and having an enlightenment session to, you know, learn things from him. And he would lace your drink with LSD and, um, yeah, then all of a sudden you would just be completely and totally fucked. Um, And that was one thing that he did a lot of. He he did a lot with LSD, a lot with drugs. Um, He would actually, there was reports that he would give some of his followers so much LSD that he would require that they wear diapers. While they were on it. I have done a lot of acid in my life. I have never done so much acid that I shit myself. That's a lot of acid. And this was everyone. Anyway, he would give them so much that he made them wear diapers because they might shit themselves. That's a lot of acid. Um... And this is just some of the crazy stuff. I mean, I haven't even got into, you know, we're almost a half an hour into this episode. And I haven't even started talking about anything else. This is just the the beginnings of this. Um, so, yeah, he would have them pay all this. Then they would get into, into the cult. Um, and then he would use the CIA, CIA uh, mind, you know, mind control tricks that basically we talked about in MK MKUltra. Um, the same kind of things. Lack of sleep. Like I said, five hours a night at maximum. LSD, and he would make sure they had tasks and everything to do so they had no time to do nothing but the way they needed for the colt. And then they would be so tired afterwards, they would have nothing that they would do. He would isolate them and then make sure that their views, everything they got, that they didn't talk to their family, they did nothing, and every information they got, they got from the colt. So that that way he could isolate them, make sure that whatever they thought in their beliefs was everything that he wanted them to believe. So that's how he would get the followers in. That's what he would do to them. There was other things. And then we come into the the karma. And this is where everything gets weird. This is he perverted the idea of karma to the point that it is sickening. There was one thing that he called what was drop karma, that your karma would be bad. So you'd have to drop it. The only way you could drop the karma, according to him, was to be beat with wooden sticks to get rid of your bad karma. And by doing this, you would rid yourself of the bad karma. And the people that were beating you, they would rid themselves of bad karma too and give themselves good karma because they're helping you. And that was that comes into a, a crazy thing that he believes. And he tells the rest of the cult was that he would call it POA. Which is a perverted way of POA. Um, POA is mentioned in other things. You know where you help someone. If someone's dying. You help them die. Um, and it's supposed to give you good karma. And help them with their karma. By helping them die. You know peacefully. And that's that's kind of the idea of POA. Not the way he did it. The way he understood POA. It was pretty much. Um, if I hurt you or killed somebody. I would get good karma. As long as I did it with, with love in my heart. So if I killed you, um, as long as I did it with love in my heart and I did it to help you. Because by killing you, because I'm a fo- because as a follower of Alm um, Shinrikyo, if I was to kill you, then that means that I'm making sure you don't go to hell because I killed you and I'm sending you to a better place. So that's good karma for you and for me. So he would literally tell his followers to go poa someone. And basically what that meant was go take them out. Um, but that comes later where we get into the the, the fun part where he starts killing people. Um, which, you know, all, all good apocalyptic cults lead to killing. Because if there's no killing, they're not there that apocalyptic. So um, other things that he had him do. The perfect salvation initiative. Initiation, sorry. Um, this was a skull cap that he would have them wear that had electrodes inside of it. And basically, the electrodes would shock the person on their skull. And that shock would put the person's brain waves in line with the leader and help them achieve blissful meditation. But they didn't just wear this while they were meditating, they wore this at all times. And they would walk around with basically a shocking yarmulke. And they'd have a yarmulke on their head. It's bigger than a yarmulke. It's more like a shower cap. And get shocked all day long. Um, And they paid for this. If you were a priest, and that's one thing that I didn't mention before, if you were a member, a a cult follower, you basically gave some money to the the, most of your money, but not always all of it, to the, the cult. If you were a priest, you gave everything to the cult. So if you were a follower, you had to rent your cap. You're your, your shocking Yarmulke for $7,000 a month. And this is in 1989, in the, the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s. $7,000 a month. If you're a priest, because you gave up all your possessions anyway, you didn't have to pay for it, you got it free. But as a follower, you had to pay $7,000 a month to rent your cap. That's insanity. As a member, um, the priest would force you to eat whatever they felt like. If they got bored one day and decided they wanted you to eat three full chickens, you had to eat all three full chickens in one setting. And if if that was too much for you and you puked, well, then you had to eat your puke. So, And that was one of the initiations that they would do. Um, other things that they, they would do, what they call prostrations, you would do 100,000 a day was what you were supposed to do, which is an impossible task, um, which is something we'll get back. We'll, I'll mention here again in a minute. 1,000 prostrations a day, which basically you drop down to your face and then stand back up. So it sounds like a burpee. So uh, I've done uh, enough Spartan races and stuff like that. I mean, I've done a, a lot of burpees, but 100,000 in a day. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically he would give them you know that was one. There was other times and other instances that I read about where he gave them an impossible tasks, and basically that was for them to, you know, they made them believe that they were were given these impossible tasks to see if they were good enough. So, to, if they were good enough to to be you know, a, a member of the cult and to do what they was told. So the, the impossible tasks, they would have to at least attempt them, um, and go for it and, um, try and do them. But that's, that's a crazy one. So that was one of those crazy ones. The other thing that he did, and this was in the beginning, this changed later. Um, but in the beginning he was very much about sex. There was a lot of sex, um, especially for him. Um, he basically like any good cult later was allowed to fuck anybody he wanted. Um, Later, sex kind of became a bad thing, but in the very beginning, this is what he told people they were supposed to do. And you have to remember, these were, were nerds who weren't used to dating, weren't used to stuff like that. He would tell them that they had to masturbate daily for 10 days, but never come so imagine that for 10 straight days you have to masturbate once a day but not orgasm you cannot ejaculate then after that for a week twice a day then 3 times a day for another week 4 times a day for another week 5 times a day for a week and then 6 times a day for a week but never ejaculating Just edging yourself right to that moment where you're about to and stopping. Every day. Six times. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of built up, pent up cum. That's disgusting. Then, after you did this, you would find a woman that would let you have sex with her. And you would fully insert your penis, which I'm pretty sure that's what most of us try to do anyway. And then do 81 marabandas now i have searched i have searched and i've not been able to find once anything that actually explains what a marabanda is as best i can tell i think it's just like squeezing your butthole but i don't know i couldn't find exactly what a marabanda is so you insert yourself fully into the vagina and then do 81 marabandas and then after you've done your 81 marabondas, you pump in and out nine times. Then do another 81 marabandas. Then pump in and out 18 times. Then another 81 marabondas. Then in and out 27 times, which I don't know how they're doing this. They've gone over six weeks now without coming, but pushing themselves to the limit over and over again. I'm pretty sure at that point, if I saw a vagina, I would freaking shoot ropes. So, I don't know how they're doing this. But, yes. So, 81 marabondas, and then so on. And, you know, you keep climbing up by 9. At some point during this, you will have an out-of-body experience and your supernatural powers will be increased. Never says what supernatural powers, but at some point, your supernatural powers are going to be increased. This, that is insanity. Um, If anybody wants to try this, please, you know, let me know um, how it goes for you. Um... Yeah, I uh, I don't think I could do it. But that's this is what he would tell them to do. Later on, as the 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 cult got bigger and everything else, he actually started making rules where they couldn't shower. Then they kept him so tired, so sex didn't happen very often. Um, but he could have sex with as many as he wanted. In fact, at one point towards the end, he was going to make a a legion of um uh, basically ninjas for lack of a better word um that were all his children so but they all had to be about the same age so he was fucking a whole bunch of different women trying to get them all pregnant so that they'd have children at the same time and he can raise them to be ninjas to protect him that never panned out but he tried um so that's really just kind of how what he did with the members and I mean this is just some of it. I mean there's so much more um things that I found as you go through this and things that he did to his members um that is just fucking insanity. Um the karma's insane getting them ready for Harumageddon, hum- um the the skull caps. I mean all of that is just a beginning of the things that he did. Um and it's just all fucking insanity. And that's just, I mean, like I said, that's the beginning. I have five pages of notes just to this point um, on the things that he was doing just to his members. It's its insanity on what he was able to convince people to do um, in the name of this, this cult. Um, and then after that, that's when things start to get really, really interesting i mean that's just like i said what he did to the, the members what he did outside of that besides what he did to the members there is where things get crazy so we, we can talk about basically um the people he killed um and that's it omson Rico was accused of killing a lot of people like i said most people know of the march 20th 1995 sarin gas attacks on the tokyo subway um in those attacks, 13 people died, thousands were, you know, suffered ill effects. Um, that that is well, well documented, but that wasn't the first. There was multiple other incidences that they tried to do. Um, he'd had you know delusions of grandeur, grandeur since '85. Um, he claimed that while meditating in 1985, that the god Shiva revealed to him and appointed him Abaraketsuo no Mikoto, the god of light who leads the armies of the gods, who was to build the kingdom of Shambhala, a utopian society made up of those who had developed psychic powers. And by that, he would, the people that would be in that kingdom were the ones that survived the, uh, the Harumageddon that he was trying to create. Um, 1990, he announced that he, there was 25 candidates in that year that, um, were trying to be elected to the Japanese diet, um, under the banner of Shinrito, the truth party. Um, he went in with confidence. He went in, had a lot of people go in, had people doing, um, uh, door to door, in stuff like that, the big problem they had there while they were doing this and they were focusing so much on trying to get, you know, people into elected into power because his whole thing is he wanted to be the prime minister of, you know, the supreme leader of Japan. And during this time, they lost a lot of members uh, because people all of a sudden, once they weren't under the, the, the control of the cult and all they knew was the cult and they suddenly went, oh my God, there's an outside world. And they kind of ran off and disappeared um, at this point. Um, but... That, you know, comes later. Or not really later, but that just that's just a side note. Um, the party received only 1,783 votes. That was it. And their failure to achieve power legitimately blamed by Asahara and externally conspiracy propagated by the Freemasons and the Jews. There we go. Just like everybody else. Let's blame the damn Jews. So, even the, the Japanese are getting in on it. They're, they're blaming the Jews for this. So, cause them to order the cult to produce botulin and phosgene in order to overthrow the Japanese government. So this is where all of a sudden he starts getting into the the chemical warfare. And that's one thing you have to understand. Like I said, most of these people in this cult were actually brilliant. They were very smart, book smart people, just not necessarily people smart people. They weren't, you know, people that had a lot of, I don't know what's the word, uh, societal you know, intelligence. It was more book intelligence. So they weren't good with people. Um, and that's kind of how he got them. So as members became disillusioned with the, with the group, um, after they contacted the outside world, they defected, um, an attitude among the remaining members that the unenlightened did not deserve salvation became, it became accepted. So anybody who left, it was believed that they did not deserve salvation. So they tried stockpiling botulinum, um, they tried getting it and stockpiling it. They collected soil samples from the Ishikara River and attempted to produce the toxin using three 10,000-liter capacity fermenters. Um, they were able to get a little bit of botulism, but the problem is, is a lot of people don't realize it's actually very difficult to um, to weaponize, you know, botulism and a lot of these. It's very hard to weaponize some of these chemicals and, you know, some of these other, you know bioweapons it's not as easy as people think because a lot of times a big problem you run into is um a lot of these bioweapons they're not a dust they're a wet and it's very hard to spread a, a wet you know substance a lot harder than it is a dust uh kind of like uh coronavirus um but that's a whole nother another argument um so, yeah, we go a little more into that where, you know, they tried doing the botulism. They tried a couple different things um, to to do that. And at the same time, that's one thing that we didn't mention is the very beginning of the episode. You heard like that weird Japanese intro. That was actually their TV show. They had a cartoon TV show that was on Japanese TV um, that people would watch. Um, they had their own uh, comic books. They had everything. They They were very much into that lifestyle of the, you know the the anime and stuff like that um so yeah so they went through they they tried making multiple um types of botulism and spread them you know a couple times on naval bases stuff like that they tried doing um one point they tried using the botulism and have it spray out of the um the the back of a car where they drove it through a neighborhood um and they did this and it had no effect they got this idea from the cia because that's how the cia spread lsd through uh throughout the cities in uh, the 1950s um, by having it spray out the back of a car while they drove through the city um, if you don't believe that go look it up it's actually very well documented um so that's where they got that idea so they tried doing that um they 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 failed to cause any real ill effects among the public. Nobody got sick. um, And that became kind of the the problem that they were trying to do was to to do that stuff. He also was able to get uh, people by having a lot of pictures. He would go see There's a, a picture that he had of him with the Dalai Lama. Because apparently in the 80s, it was very easy to get to the Dalai Lama and talk to him. Um, and when they asked a lot of the monks that were there if they remembered meeting him and the, the group, and they said that, that yes, and that they were not very well liked, and that he was less interested in, light, in enlightenment and more interested in how to develop a religion and a cult um, than anything. So... After, you know, they did all this stuff, tried doing all the, you know, the botulism, that didn't work. They also tried anthrax. They find, tried a couple. They they went through a few different biological warfare, warf, well, warfare agents trying to, to make, you know, a different biological warfare. Um, so after that, he basically, at some point, he ended up also declaring himself, what, in 1992? Um, he published a... a An article declaring himself as Christ and identifying with the Lamb of God. So, now not only is he the rebirth of Buddha, which he also declared himself as, he's also Christ being reborn. So, now he is not just Buddha. He's Buddha and Christ. They're the same person, and it's Asahara. Yeah. So, he outlined a doomsday prophecy, which included a third world war. Um... And the final conflict culminated in a nuclear Armageddon. Borrowing the term from the book of Revelation, his purported mission was to take upon himself the sins of the world, and he claimed he could transfer to his followers spiritual power and take away their sins. Osirar claimed to be able to see dark conspiracies everywhere promulgated by Jews, Freemasons, the Dutch, the British royal family, the rival rival Japanese religions, and of course the United States. He did not like the United States, and we were the ones that were supposed to have war with Japan and start Harumageddon. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Why the Dutch? I mean, there's a few things in here where he mentions the Dutch. He really did not like the Dutch much. Um, at some point in uh, 1992, Asahara made himself was made president of an ironworks. He ended up buying the ironworks because at this point a lot of people don't realize too they had money from all of the stuff that they'd been doing um at their height they were estimated to be worth over uh what i found somewhere i found differing things i have found some that have said over 600 million and others that have said over two or three hundred million so somewhere there i mean in the hundreds of millions of dollars is what this kind what this this cult had in their possession um, so they basically got a the hold of an ironworks in Japan and then ended up re um, doing what they call the omification of the plant um, and redoing it, remaking the plant into what they needed it and wanted it to be and actually turned it into an AK. And see, this is one I've seen in a couple different places. I've seen AK-47 and AK-74. I believe it's the AK-47, but yes, AK-47 rifles and to make bullets. So from scratch, they found ways and found the the things to basically make bullets and guns from scratch, and to create and build their own guns, um, in the ironworks. So they started building their own guns, so that they'd have guns for themselves, not just buying them, building their own. Um, at the same time, once again, they started doing anthrax, um, and still trying to do botulism, and trying to do it in a better way. Um, they did not. Once again, we're completely unsuccessful. They did not be able to get it. Uh, they tried doing the sprayer mounted out of the car again. Did not work. Um, they tried mixing it in juice for people. Did not work. Um, there was a bunch of different failed botulism. They kept trying to botulism uh, attacks all the way up to the Tokyo subway attack. They were still trying to botulism um, and never were able to get it to work. Um the Anthrax program same thing tried it multiple tax multiple tax with the anthrax but it's never able to get it to quite work um, so then basically they eventually went into the chemical I mean they've been in the chemical warfare but they basically what they ended up doing was going to a superpower or a former superpower that was now in some financial ruin and having a lot of problems and that would be Russia so as Russia was collapsing, you had all these new countries um, that were being formed out of the former U, you know, USSR states, you know, Azerbaijan, and a lot of places like that, that were once part of the US, you know, part of USSR, part of Mother Russia, are now their own country with no money and nothing else. But what do they have a lot of? <sighs> Weapons. Because that was one thing Russia was really, really good about. They were really good about making sure that everybody had weapons. You have a gun, you get a gun, you get a helicopter, you get a helicopter. A lot of the stuff was out there. So, this is when Amshin Shinrikyo decided to go over there and start meeting with people. And becoming, you know, going into Russia and some of the former Russian states. The one thing that they ended up in, by 1994, they had over 30,000 Om Shinrikyo members in the former Russian, former Russia and, uh, you know, Russian states. So over there, they had a lot of followers, a lot of followers, and they used those followers to be able to get themselves access to buying weapons and all sorts of stuff like that from these, you know, these states. So one of the things that they, they were able to buy was a helicopter. They got a combat helicopter that they were able to get through customs into Japan. Don't ask how, because no one can figure that one out. Apparently, I mean, getting like fruit in Japan is about impossible, but a Russian helicopter, they had no problem. So they were able to get a Russian helicopter past customs and got it into Japan. And the whole idea, and a lot of people like, oh my God, all the rockets, the guns, blah, blah, blah. That's not what they had in mind. Their whole idea was another idea of how they did with the the exhaust from the car was to do something similar with the helicopter to fly it over the top of the city and distribute biological warfare from the helicopter. So, um, luckily though, um, they were never able to get the helicopter off the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, they weren't they they were really good at some things, but then other things they weren't very good at. But that was one thing. They were never able to get it off the ground. Um, there was a lot of other things that they went through. Um, and But the main thing that they were able to get their hands on was the plans and the recipe for building searing gas. So that was one of the main ones. So that's kind of how they got to the sarin gas part. So once again, like I said, I'm going to jump around a lot on this because there's so much information that you kind of start going down one lane and you kind of have to finish it before you go back to another. So one of the things that I did mention earlier is the fact that he they, they killed a lot of people. Uh, most people just know about the sarin gas attacks. They also killed people in other ways. The first known one where they, they know of them killing someone was one of the members left the cult and they came back and one of the ways that they did to to punish people when they leave the cult was they hang them upside down dip their head in ice water um and then shock them give them electrical shock and that was their punishment for leaving um during this punishment they killed them. And that's the first really known one that's been documented that they they're pretty much sure they killed this guy. That w- I mean, accidentally it happens, you know, but and really you look at a lot of like serial killers and a lot of other cults, their, their very first death usually is an accidental death. Um, and that's what this was. It was an accidental death. They accidentally killed this guy. But it's what happened next. Next, there was another member that was a friend of the guy. And these were guys that were holdovers from the, the you know, mountain wizards, you know, that had been there a while. So he was fed up. He wasn't, he didn't like the way the cult was going. And this was in the, you know, late, like 88, 89. Um, so he was going to, he was going to rat him out. He's like, yeah, I'm done with this shit. I'm out. I'm going to go tell him that they killed my friend. Um, So, of course, they killed him. Now, when they killed him, this was really their first actual foray foray into murder. Um, so they killed the guy. Um, the sto- as the story goes, he was killed. And then after they killed him, they burned him and burned the, the remains for 12 hours to make sure everything was gone, to get rid of the everything, and then unceremoniously just dumped his ashes into the river. This is where they became their, their fascination with incineration, um, they, to get rid of bodies. They would incinerate them and make them go away. Um, so that's where that started. Uh, also that happened in, in 1989 was the Sakamoto, Sakamoto family murder. There was a gentleman named, I'm just going to say his last name cause I'm not going to, if I try pronouncing that first name, I'm going to totally botch that. It's T-S-U-T-S-U-M-I, Sakamoto. Tsutsumi. Okay. Tsutsumi Makamoto, Sakamoto. Um, he was a lawyer working on a class action lawsuit against Om Shinrikyo. And while he was working on that, basically one of the tactics he used was he told or basically went to the newspapers and everything like that. And, you know, the Tokyo Broadcasting System Television did an interview with him. And in that interview, he used a lot of anti Om, you know, Talks made a, made a lot of comments, put a lot of you know stuff into the paper on how bad Alm Shinrikyo was, and gave them a lot of un unfavorable press, which Alm did not like. So this is one of those times where Asahara decided that he wanted to have Sakamoto poed. So they he sent out a crew of people to go kill him. And it was supposed to just be him. So, and this was October 31st, so Halloween, 1989. um, Sakamoto uh, was successful in persuading Alm leader Shoko Asahara to submit a blood test to test for a special power that the leader claimed was present throughout his body. He found no sign of anything unusual. The closure of this could have been potentially embarrassing or damaged to Asahara. That same month, Tokyo Broadcasting System Television taped an interview with Sakamoto regarding his anti-Oma efforts. However, the network secretly showed a video of the interview to all members without Sakamoto's knowledge, intentionally breaking its protection of sources. Oma officials then pressured TBS to cancel the planned broadcast of the interview. Several days later, November third, nineteen eighty-nine, several Oma Shinrikyo members, including Hideo Marie Marie, who I see I'm going to mess up all these names, uh, who was their chief scientist, Satoru Hashimoto, a martial arts master. Tamamasa Nakagawa, and Kaza, Ozaki Oka, Okazaki drove to Yokohama, where Sakamoto lived. They carried a pouch with 14 hypodermic syringes and a supply of potassium chloride. According to court testimony provided by the perpetrators later, they planned to use a chemical substance to kidnap, kidnap Sakamoto from Yokohama's Shinkansen train station. But contrary to expectations, he did not show up. It was a holiday. This is how socially inept they were. They didn't even realize it was a holiday and he wouldn't be at work. Um, it was Bonk no Nohai, or culture day. So he slept in with his family at home. At 3 a.m., the group entered Sakamoto's apartment through an unlocked door. Um, Sakamoto was struck on the head with a hammer. His wife, Satako, uh was beaten. Their infant son uh, was injected with potassium chlor- chloride, and then his face was covered with a cloth. While well, two adults struggled, they were also injected with the potassium chloride. Sotaco died with the toxic injection, but um, I can't say his name. He did not die as quickly from the injection alone and was strangled. So the family's remains were placed in metal drums and hidden in three separate rural areas in three different pre- prefectures. Um, so, that in case the bodies were uncovered, police might not link the three incidents. Their bedsheets were burned and the tools were dropped in the ocean. The victim's teeth were smashed to frustrate identification. Their bodies were not found until the perpetrators revealed the locations after they were captured in connection with the 1995 Tokyo subway attack. So that was what happened if you went against Om Shinrikyo. Uh, Asahara would have you poet. And that's kind of what he did there. And from the other reports that I've read on it, that supposedly, you know, they were supposed to pick and get him at the, the train station so that it was just him and the family wasn't supposed to be killed. But because they, you know, they screwed up and they ended up having to do it at his house, they ended up killing the entire family. Um, yeah, that's what, the, just because he said some bad things about um, he was killed. And the, the metal drums, that comes into play a lot. They, they they did a lot with metal drums and some very, very weird things. So like I said when I said about you know the, the incineration, that became kind of their their thing. That they would incinerate bodies. They basically one of the things that they did is they built a incinerator that was about the size of a refrigerator and they got it so that it would get so hot that it could pretty much get rid of a body in a half an hour. But what they would do and they called it the microwave, the incinerator. They would take that that incinerator They would put people into metal drums and put them inside the incinerator until a point that basically their body would get so hot that it would liquefy and then crust onto the sides of the container. And then they would scrape the container of the the human remains, put those human remains in nitric acid, and flush them down the toilet. And when the, the the cult was finally busted and they they ransacked it and went in there, they found 80 of these metal drums that were blackened. So that would be at least 80 people that they did this to. 80. And they would do it to anybody who basically left the cult um, and died or anybody that accidentally died. So anything like that, anybody they needed to get rid of, that's how they would do it. They would incinerate it. Um and either flush them down the toilet or at different times they would, would take the ashes and spread them around the mountains out there. Uh, so this was, yeah, you, you did not leave them. You did not go away. I mean, that's 80. So, and we haven't even got into the actual, like, attacks. So, you know, I mentioned the, the Tokyo subway attack. That is the, the m- most commonly known is that one. There was more. So, like I said, you had the 80 people that they know that they're pretty sure that they killed at least 80 there's more they know of more um there was multiple tech attempts at attacked um through you know up to the the sarin gas attack multiples uh, that they did one of the big ones that a lot of people didn't even know they did was the matsumoto sarin attack um, it was a tepton assassination perpetrated by members of the Om Shinrikyo Doomsday Cult in Matsumoto on the night of June twenty-seventh, 1994? So almost a year earlier, they killed eight people and over 500 harmed by a sarin aerosol that was re- released from a converted refrigerator truck in the Kachi Heights area. The attack was perpetrated by nine was perpetrated nine months before the better known Tokyo subway sarin attack. So. This was one in a quiet residential area in the city of Matsumoto. Um, in carrying out the attack, Amshin had two goals. To attack three judges who were expected to rule against the cult in a lawsuit concerning a real estate dispute, and to test the efficiency of its sarin which the cult was manufactured at one of its facilities as a weapon of mass murder. Residents of Matsumoto had also angered Ulm founder Shako Asahara by vigorously opposing his plan to set up an office and factory in the city's southern area. Opponents of the plan gathered 140,000 signatures on an anti olm petition, equivalent to 70% of Matsumoto's population at the time. Um, their original plan was to release the aerosol into the Matsumoto courthouse. It was altered when the cult members arrived in the city after the courthouse had closed. The cult members decided to instead target a three-story apartment building where the city's judges resided um, at 10.40 p.m. So this is kind of one of those things that's always quite interesting. As the more I researched this and went down this, um, these are like the keystone cops of clan uh, of a cult. Um Because they bumble through so much shit, where they totally fuck it up. Where I talk about like the AK, uh, you know, forty-seven factory, Um, they were never able to produce even near what they wanted to, because most of these guys weren't. I mean, they were they were smart, but a lot of times what they were doing weren't in the fields that they were known. Like that was part of the problem with the biologicals. They really had no biologists. What they had was engineers um and and stuff like that that were trying to be biologists so there was real no biologists they were teaching themselves which is also shows that how smart they were that they weren't biologists and they taught themselves how to make chemical warfare you know chemical biological agents so i mean it's it's kind of an amazing thing that they did but at the same time they were they were like the keystone cops of of cults where they just kind of bumbled their way through this almost everything they do it's it's a comedy of errors of like really How did this even work? Um, So yeah, at 11.30 p.m., Matsumoto police received an urgent report from paramedics that casualties were being transported to hospitals. The patients were suffering from darkened vision, eye pain, headaches, nausea, diarrhea, meiosis, and numbness in their hands. Some victims described having seen a fog with a pungent and irritating smell floating by. A total of 274 people were treated. Five dead residents were discovered in their apartments and two died in hospital immediately after admission. Um, An 8th victim, Sumiko Kono, remained in a coma for 14 years and died in 2008. Um, This is one thing that you have to understand, too. Sarin gas is fucking nasty. Um, It's horrible, uh, what it does. And, And that's one thing that, you know, that you got to kind of understand so this is the definition of Sarah. It's an, sarin it's an extremely toxic synthetic uh, organ organophosphorus compound a colorless odorless liquid which yes there's a lot of stuff about them sm- smelling it that's because they did not have pure sarin They was 30 sarin um what they built had a smell to it because that was the other stuff that was in it um It was a colorless, odorless liquid. It is used as a chemical weapon due to its extreme potency as a nerve agent. Exposure is lethal even at very low concentrations where death can occur within 1 to 10 minutes after direct inhalation of a lethal dose. Due to suffocation from respiratory paralysis, unless antidotes are quickly administered, people absorb a non-lethal dose but do not receive immediate medical attention may suffer permanent neurological damage. So it is nasty. Um, It's something that you don't want to be... Yeah, have to to be exposed to um, it's horrible so they did that the Matsumoto the attack was 9 months before the Tokyo attack so this was kind of a, a scheduled or not a scheduled but a a a test but at the same time if you look at the time frame they did this to try and because they were about to be sued by a judge or, or by, a, by a judge these 3 judges were about to you know not sue them but actually you know look at a case that was they were involved in so if they get rid of the judges it would take the, the heat off them and then they the, the case would go away um the same thing that happened when we talked about the sakamoto sakamoto family 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 murder because sakamoto had went against them and talked against them so they decided to murder him this is a typical thing you see with colts where people to go against them or say something against them and they try and have them killed or taken out or discredited with the, you know, Om Shinrikyo, they did this quite often. The next one, you know, really, we talked a few about them. And like I said, I could go honestly with everything that I have, I could do another two hours on this. Um, and I know I've been all over the place with this, but there is so much stuff. Um, I really feel like I, I need to, you know, do more episodes with this and maybe even sit down with big D and in a couple months, do a full blown out episode, you know, like four parter on this. Um, like I said, the the one podcast that I got a lot of stuff from and that I listened to was four hours. Um, and there was still stuff that they missed that they didn't get in there. Um, so basically, we're over an hour, um, which I really don't have a time frame on this, but I don't want to bore you guys too much longer. So I'll jump right to the Tokyo subway attack. Um, this was the big thing that everyone knows about and the culmination of everything they did. And this was a thing, once again, they knew because they had people in the the government they had people in the police force they had people that were you know part of the military that were all involved in these so they knew when they were about to be raided and things were about to happen so they knew that the the police department was going to move on them so to deal with that they did the normal thing They went for a mass attack. They also tried to make this mass attack look as though it was done by the U.S. so that the Tokyo would hopefully retaliate against the U.S. and that would basically start Armageddon and start World War III, which is what they wanted. Um, So the Tokyo Subway Seren attack. Uh, was an act of domestic terrorism perpetrated on March 20th, 1995, in Tokyo, by members of the Aum Shinrikyo. In five coordinated attacks, the perpetrators released CERN on three lines of the Tokyo Metro um, during rush hour, killing 13 people, injuring 5,500, and causing temporary vision problems for nearly a thousand. The attack was directed against trains passing through um, the. Japanese parliament, where part of Japanese parliament was headquartered. It was through the Japanese parliament headquarters. So basically, and part of the big thing was, as the main police department was where these trains all culminated and they were timing it in a way that when it, the, the serenade would go off, it would go off as the officers were like during shift change. So to do as much damage to officers as possible. And the one thing is a lot of people look at the numbers in this and see 13 death. Dead and fifty-five hundred people injured, um, and think that's a large number. This was nothing compared to what they were going for. They were hoping for th- tens of thousands of people dead, but because they didn't do, they, they once again, you know, the the Keystone Cops of of Colts, they bumbled through this in a way that if this would have gone correctly, and they would have done the sarin correctly, and done everything correctly, that they would have killed so much more. Um, and part of the problem you run into is the the Japanese subways are considered some of the best, most timed, on time subways ever. Nothing stops the subways; they just keep going, and that's part of how they got more people. So, um, they've tried it several assassination attempts before that, like I said. Um, and basically, the way they did this was they. Had five different people get on the subways at different positions, different places, and they tried, you know, attempted this for days. They had basically everything in balloons that they'd wrapped in newspapers, so it wasn't obvious what they had. Um, and they would go onto the the train carrying these balloons, they would drop the, the papers with the balloons in them, they all had umbrellas with sharpened tips at the top, they would pop the balloons with the umbrellas. And Saren would take a a little bit for it all to mix together before the gas really comes out. So they would pop the balloons, and then they would walk off the train. And each one of them had the antidote so they could give themselves a shot, you know, and get rid of the umbrellas and move on. Um, So they went through this. Everyone did what they were told. There were a couple that had issues, you know, with popping their balloons. Um, It's very hard to find a lot of information on exactly how the attack went. Um, There we go. So... This is actually kind of how it went. So on Mo- Monday, March 20th, five members of Amshin Shinrikyo launched a chemical attack on the Tokyo subway on lines that a part of the present-day Tokyo Metro, one of the world's busiest commuter transport systems at the peak of the morning rush hour. Chemical agent used was liquid sarin. It was contained in plastic bags, which each team then wrapped in newspaper. Each perpetrator carried two packets, totaling approximately 0.9 liters of sarin, except Yasuo Hay- Hayashi, who carried three bags, totaling approximately 1.3 liters. Ulm originally planned to spread the sarin as an aerosol, but did not fall through with it. Sarin, you know, uh. so based what they did, they carried their packets of sarin and umbrellas with their sharpened tips. The perpetrators boarded their appointed trains at pre-arranged stations. The sarin packets were dropped and punctured several times with the sharpened tip of the umbrella. Each perpetrator then got off the train and exited the station to meet his accomplice with the car. Leaving the punctured packets on the floor allowed the sarin to leak out into the train car and stations. This sarin affected passengers, subway workers, and those who came into contact with them. Sarin is most volatile of the nerve agents, which means it can quickly and easily evaporate from liquid into a vapor and spread into the environment. People can be exposed to vapor even if they do not come in contact with the liquid form of sarin. Because it evaporates so quickly, sarin presents an immediate but short-lived threat. So, each one, there was two people on each line, um, and they went through, well, there was a couple different lines. They went through the lines, you know, on each train there was a different person on each train. They went through and punctured their bags. Everything kind of went okay. So, um, two serum packets on the Chiyoda line. Uh, Hayashi was a perpetrator at Nimi. And his getaway driver on the way to Sendagi Station. Nimi purchased newspapers to wrap the serum packets in. Um, Hayashi eventually chose to use Akahata. Wearing a surgical mask commonly worn by the Japanese during cold and flu season, Hayashi ported the first car of southwestbound 748 Chiyoda Line train number A725K as the train approached Shinokum. Oh, gosh, see, I'm going to screw up all these. So, as it went to the station, the Central Business District in Chiyoda, he punctured one of his two bags of sarin, leaving the other untouched, and exited the train. The train proceeded down the line with the punctured bag of sarin leaking until four stops later. There, the bags were removed and eventually disposed of by station attendants, of whom two died. So, the station attendants noticed the bags, cleaned them up, and when they were in the process of cleaning up, they exposed themselves and they died. Uh, The train continued on the next station, where it completely stopped, evacuated, and cleaned. Um, Two men were assigned to release two serum packets on the westbound line, destined for Ogikubu Station. The pair left Ulm headquarters at 6 a.m., uh, to Yotsu Station. There, Hayus boarded a westbound Manucci Line train, then charged, changed a the northbound train and got off at another station. He then bought a sports tablet to wrap the Sarin packets in and boarded the second car of Manucci Line train A77. As he was about to release the Sarin, Hiroshi believed the loud noises caused by the newspaper-wrapped packets had caught the attention of a schoolgirl. schoolgirl. To avoid further suspicion, he got off the train and moved to the third car instead of the second. As the train approached the station, Hirose dropped the newspapers to the floor, repeated an mantra, and punctured both sarin packets with so much force that he bent the tip of his sharpened umbrella. Both packets successfully broken. Uh, 900mm of sarin was released onto the floor of the train. Hirose then departed the train at Okonomuzu and left via Kitamura's car, waiting outside the station. His clumsy release of the sarin resulted in him accidentally poisoning himself, but he was able to administer an antidote stored in Kitamura's car. Uh, Fourteen stops later, two severely injured passengers were carried out of the train car while station attendant Samuyu Nishimura removed the sarin packets. One of these two passengers was the only fatality from this attack. The train continued with sarin still on the floor of the third car. Five stops later, at 8.38, the train reached... Ogakuba Station, the end of their Muruchi line, all while passengers continued to board the train. The train continued eastbound until it was finally taken out of service. Two stops later, the entire ordeal resulted in one passenger's death with 358 being seriously injured. So, each one kind of goes this way. You know, same thing, wrapped two serving packets on the, the next one. They arrived at the station, put on a wig. This is the only one that the guy put on a wig um, and fake glasses, so he tried to hide his identity not sure why nobody else did um what well, began poking the sarin packets when the train reached the next station he fled the scene with the leaving the sarin packets on the train car the packets were not fully punctured Daring's drop yokomuma left one packet fully intact while the other packet was only punctured once and with a small hole results in this sarin being released slowly um so that one there wasn't a whole lot um no fatalities in that one uh so basically as we go through they're all pretty much the same. Um, there's one gentleman who uh, Hayashi who actually questioned why he should do this and then basically came back to the impossible task where he basically thought of you know the impossible tasks that they'd been given before and that was more his reason to actually do it is he was given the you know impossible task. Um, every one of these guys was was convicted. Um, of the attacks and all of them, including uh, Asahara, were killed um, and executed. Shoko Asahara was executed, found guilty of a lot of things, and executed by hanging in 2018. Um, you know, which I mean, he deserved. 'Cause he did some pretty nasty shit. So this is a long episode, and I mean there's so much more I could go into. I really just kind of did a quick overview, and I mean I guess I could say quick, but it was an hour, you know, almost an hour and a half um, episode. But one of the big things to really look at here and one of the things that I noticed quite a bit is after doing the episodes that we have done on propaganda and everything else, you look at a lot of the things that they do in these cults and think about what is being done in our society right now where we are being isolated. We are being taken away. We can't go see our family. We just see see on Facebook what we we see. They are starting to tell us what we can and can't see on Facebook and they're – they're, they're limiting what we can see. And yes, they are a private company. It is their right to do that. Um, but at the same time, they're censoring what we do see and we're allowing it to happen. Um, this is what you see in cult mentality quite often. And that is one of the things that scares me so much right now is you see all of this, these, these cult mentalities and all these cults that I've looked at and everything else. And you see all the propaganda and everything they use and you see how much they're using it right now in our society, in our world, in our government, in our country. Um, Read between the lines. Look at what's going on. Pay attention. Um, Don't believe just what they tell you. Don't be a follower. Don't look at these things and just believe all this crazy stuff because I told you. Don't believe what you're hearing just because me and Big D tell you. Do some research. Look at things yourself. Read between the lines. Know what's going on. Don't just think that, you know, somebody's telling you something so, well, it's got to be true. Um, That is what they're hoping for. That is the whole idea. You look at a lot of these religions that happened and the reason why, you know, asahara was able to do this so well is because everybody in japan had pretty much been trained from a young age that you don't question authority you don't do that in school you don't do that at all you don't question authority you do what you're told and that's what they're pushing right now you see that a lot one of the reasons why they were able to they had thirty thousand members in russia and former states of russia because russia's education system and Russia's you know, everything about Russia was so similar to Japan in the fact that you don't question authority, you just do what you're told, that it was easy for them to take over, you know, and get people to follow um and listen to what they're saying because that's what they're used to. Um so think for yourself. Open your eyes. Be a thinker. Be a be a researcher. Pay attention because, like I said, I do a lot of this research. I love cults. They fascinate me, and it's fascinating to see how some of these people were duped. And if you look at a lot of these people and you look at the backgrounds on some of these people, one of those people that was part of the the group that performed the sarin attack and, and brought it on and did it was a doctor. He was the one that questioned everything because in his before he was a member of the cult and did all that, he was a doctor and he helped people and saved people. And they were able to convince him that to save people and to help people, you had to kill them. They all believed that every one of those people that they were killing on their trains, they were sending to a better life and giving good karma to because they had been told by a lunatic. By a man that had so much acid in his system. And so many other drugs. Which is another thing you see with cult leaders. That they basically become the battery. And the power source for their cult. That they get drained so bad. That most of them do move on to drugs and alcohol. And speed. They need speed. Speed. Speed is one of the big ones. They love their speed. Um, and Asahara was no different. Speed. Um lsd was his favorite um like i said they did so much lsd he would give people so much lsd that he would make them wear a diaper now i would like to know if anybody out there if there's anybody out there that's ever done so much lsd that they needed a diaper because they shit themselves i want to hear about it because like i said i have done a lot of drugs in my lifetime and i've never done so many drugs that i shit myself there may have been one time with alcohol but that's a whole nother story um so yeah, let me know. The other thing that I want to do is I know as Big D said on his show, um, well, not his show, but his week when he he did this, that he would like people to, to give him questions um, and to, to interact. So if you want to interact, um, you can email. Um, just you know, put in the headline, you no know, Brandon. Um, you can either email NWCZradio at gmail.com, or you can email me at valentine.entertain at gmail.com or find me on um, instagram instagram i am mr underscore b underscore six 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 and mr is spelled out m-i-s-t-e-r underscore b underscore six 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 and that is my instagram handle Find me on Instagram. Send me messages on Instagram. I will answer. And if you want to ask questions, I will answer them on the next episode. So the next one for me will be next Wednesday. Um, so next week, or sorry, next week is Big D, and then the weekend, uh, week after that, will be me doing another episode. Um, send me a message. Let me know what you want to hear next. Do you want me to do another cult? The only cult that I will not do is Children of God because Mister, me and uh, Big D have already talked about. And Children of God is when we're doing it together because. Uh, i i that one um for other reasons is as fucked up as om shinrikyo and like i said i think this is one that we may have to go back down because there's a whole lot that i missed i could do a whole another hour um and not talk about any of the stuff that i did um because i just kind of hit things really quickly uh because that's about the only way i could do it and try and keep this somewhat short um So yeah, let me know if you want to hear anything, any questions you have. Email me, message me. Um, I would love to hear from you. Thank you all for listening. Um, You don't know how much this means to me to have this many people listening um, and and knowing that you're all out there. So thank you all. I will see you guys or talk to you on Sunday on NWCZ Radio at 8 p.m. And I'm out.